Well, all right. So if you are kindergarten through third grade and you want to go to kids' church, you can go to the back door by Mr. Doug. And if you're a parent who's uncomfortable with that, feel free to walk them back there and then pick them up immediately following the sermon because they'll be running back in here after that uh, to come meet us. Um, for everyone else, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 10. Kings chapter 10. We are continuing on in our series through the book of 1 Kings. We are seeing right now in the book Solomon's life. And uh, so we've got uh, two, three more weeks with Solomon before we move on from him. Uh, But today we're looking at a uh, story that uh, has a lot of speculation about it, which is the, the Queen of Sheba who comes to visit him. And, uh, and so while you're turning there, uh, I will read the text, or I guess hopefully you're, you're close there. I'm going to read the text, um, and, uh, and then we'll pray, and we'll get going, starting in verse 1. So if you're new to the Bible, when I say chapter, that's the big number on the page. Verse is a small number. The Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame connected with the name of the Lord and came to test him with difficult questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in great abundance, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke to him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food on his table, his servant's residence, his attendant's service and their attire, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. Then she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men. How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king four and a half tons of gold, a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again did such quantity of spices arrive as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In addition, Hiram's fleet that carried gold from Ophir uh, brought from Ophir a large quantity of almug wood and precious stones. The king made the almug wood into steps for the Lord's temple and the king's palace and into lyres and harps for the singers. Never before did such almug wood arrive and the like has not been seen again. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba her every desire, whatever she asked, besides what he had given her out of his royal bounty. Then she, along with her servants, returned to her own country. So, Father, come before you and we pray. Uh, for this text uh, this morning. And so we ask for you to help us to understand it, uh, to see what it means for us today, and that Jesus is our great King of wisdom. So open our hearts, open our minds to hear this, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, this, I, I read a couple sermons that were really helpful um, in writing this sermon. One was by a guy named Charles Simeon, uh, who was an English Anglican pastor in the 17 and 1800s. Another one was 
Charles Spurgeon, who was another English pastor in the 1800s, and uh, they were both immensely helpful. And, and Charles Simeon began his sermon with something along these lines, but, but he talked about uh, how many times have you had built someone up in your mind or an event in your mind where you're like, man, I've got high expectations, and then you show up, and you meet that person, or you go to that event, and it is not nearly as cool as you thought it'd be? And so this past summer, uh, whenever it was, uh, uh, leading into it, June told us just out of nowhere, we've never mentioned this to her, and I don't remember if I've told you guys this or not, but June walked up and she tells us, I want to go to a peach festival. And we have no, like, where did you hear about a peach festival? I don't even know. Just, I don't know. Was, I'm, I'm sure she saw it on something on YouTube. I don't know. But she came up and she said, I want to go to a peach festival. She loves peaches. And so we're like, Okay, we'll find a peach festival. So for her birthday, she wanted a peach festival. And so we looked up on the internet, where is a peach festival? Turns out there's one in Weatherford. And uh, so we were like, okay, we're going to go to the Weatherford Peach Festival. It's going to be totally awesome. And so we're building it up. We're like, oh, it's next Saturday. And she's like, okay, how many days to the peach festival? Three days to the peach festival. Okay, we're going to go to the peach festival. We go to this peach festival, pay $10 a head to get in. This is the biggest letdown of a thing I've ever been to in my life. The Peach Festival there, you walk into this Peach Festival, you pay you 30 bucks for your family. My boys are free for right now. But we walk in, and there are literally no peaches anywhere. And it is massive, and it's just booths to sell leather goods, like purses with rhinestones and things like that. Like, my do- we don't care. Like, my family, we are like, we're not going to buy that. Like, my daughter's three. I'm not going to buy her five. We're not going to buy How old is she? She's five. Like, I'm not, we're, this is not the thing she's kind of into right now. And so it's just like leather goods and cooking wear and all. Like, we're like, where are the peaches? Like, our invi- like what we thought of a peach festival was going to be like what, you, like, you, know the, you know, TV shows about small towns where they all come together at the town square with the gazebo and they got everyone in the towns dressed up like a, you know, like a, like a, you know, the scarecrow and whatever else. Like, you got like everyone is, is like this. And like there's going to be hay rides and peaches flying everywhere, peaches at every booth. That's what we were thinking it was going to be like. But no, we had to go there and we had to ask me like, where are peaches? And they're like, oh, you have to go down this street, turn a corner, go to the very edge of this whole thing, the very, very edge, and there's a couple peaches there. Okay, great. I guess we'll go track that down. So we got our GPSs out and started trying to track down the peaches. We get over there to the peaches. They're like, okay, here's a bucket. Here's a whole, like a, like a bucket right here. It's $25 for the bucket. For the peaches? Yes, $25 for the bucket. Can I just buy like three peaches? No, you have to buy the bucket. It's her birthday. I like I have to get a peach at the peach fest. So here's $25 for the peaches here that I could have bought for $4 at Walmart, or you bought those for $4 at Walmart. And um, and so like that was our experience at this peach festival. So later on we 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 left and June like we're walking and June's like, is this it? I'm like, yep. That's it. And I'm feeling the exact same way. I'm feeling just as disappointed. And if you'd love the Weatherford Peach Festival, go love it to the, your fullest heart. Uh, just not our thing. And so, uh, so we, Darren and I decided, like, later on, we're like, you know what? 
we're going to make our own peach festival. So we made our own peach festival. We went, I made a, got our ice cream maker out. We made homemade ice cream. We made peach cobbler. Uh, I grilled some like chicken legs to be turkey legs. And uh, we did it in our backyard. And man, we had a great time. It was super, super fun. We hung out in the backyard all night. Now, why do I tell you that? Because sometimes you have expectations for people and for events built up in your mind about how great these things are going to be. But when you get there, you're like, man, this is not as cool as I hoped it'd be. Opposite of that is the Queen of Sheba here. Why? Because she has been told over and over and over again how awesome King Solomon is, how wise this guy is, how wealthy this guy is, how you need to go pay homage to this guy because he's amazing. And so she shows up, and all of a sudden what she sees takes her breath away. Look at the text with me. The Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame connected to the name of the Lord and came to test him with difficult questions. So most contemporary commentators, if you read a Bible commentary that's been written in the last, I don't know, 100 years, uh, most of those guys are going to look at this text of what's happening here uh, regarding Solomon's wealth. So the end of chapter 9 through chapter 10, it's all about how rich Solomon was, all his plans that he had like kind of built, all of his palaces that he's built, and, uh, and then how much gold he's got. And so the commentators look at this and they're like, man, look at like this guy, he's, God did give him a lot of stuff, but they read it all in light of chapter 11, which talks about Solomon's unfaithfulness to God or his sinfulness. And they neglect, I believe, incorrectly, what happened back in chapter 3. So turn back to chapter 3 with me real quick. Chapter 3, verse 10. Small number 10, big number 3. Sol God appeared to Solomon, and he said, ask me for anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon said, I need wisdom. And so then look what God's response is. Now, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or for riches for yourself or for the death of your enemies, but you have asked for discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. But check this next verse out. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your life. Now, God gave Solomon a promise there. He said, I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to make you the wisest person who's ever lived. But because you didn't ask me for wealth, I'm going to make you the wealthiest man who's ever lived. That's what I'm going to do. Now we come back here in chapter 10. And why is this, why is this chapter here? What is happening in here? What's the purpose of it? The writer of First Kings is telling us of these, uh, this event with the Queen of Sheba stating for us explicitly that God made good on his promise. That's the point of this text. What does she do? She shows up to investigate what's happening up here with Solomon. And so what she sees is a dude who is immensely, wise, immensely wise, 
But in addition to that, he is fabulously wealthy. And so he's got a, he's got a partner in King Hiram, who is the Phoenician king. And uh, together they have set up multiple, I don't know, uh, industry-leading things in which they have set up uh, a trade routes via sea to where they are governing all of the sea trade routes. And then also Solomon's land is on the main route to Egypt. And so Solomon controls essentially all world trade. When you're the guy who controls all world trade, you're the one who gets a cut off of everything that comes off of your trade routes. Solomon controls everything, and so he is just amassing more and more and more wealth. Why? Because God said he would give it to him because he didn't ask for it. That's what's happening here. And so the point of this section, or actually there's, there's four points I want you to see here. And the first one is this, that God made good on his promise to Solomon. God made good on his promise to Solomon to give him wisdom, to give him wealth, and to give him honor. And that's what he's showing us here. And so look in this text, verse 1. What happens? Foreign rulers are coming to him to pay homage and to investigate what's going on. Foreign rulers are coming to observe. And look, at, look down, verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage. Think of Aladdin. I've said this before when King's coming in, the, the parade on Aladdin when uh, Prince Ali is coming into whatever, uh, Agrabah? whatever, he's coming in, and you got Will Smith rapping, you got, the, you got all the, the elephants. That's what's happening here. She is coming in from Yemen, and uh, she's bringing all of her cattle, all of her camels, all of her spices, all of her gold, just carrying in gold, just in a parade, coming into Jerusalem with precious stones. She came to Solomon, and she spoke to him about everything that was on her mind. And look at this, verse 3. So Solomon answered her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. So God is making good on his promise, and this text shows us that by one bringing foreign rulers to hear of his honor and coming to observe what's going on. And then they confirm his wisdom. But she comes, and she speaks to him everything on her mind. She has all of her questions. And what? Nothing is too difficult to for him to answer. Now, here's the question. What, what do you think, like, if you've got an, an audience with the wisest man or the possibly the wisest person in the world, what do you ask that person? Like, what, what kind of stuff do you come and ask them? Like, you're not going to ask them, like, um, hey, uh, I heard you're pretty wise, so what's 100 plus 4? You know, like, you're not going to say, like, you're not going to have weird questions like that. Like, you're going to bring, like, legit questions. And so for her, what is she? She's a ruler. She's probably asking about economic questions. She's probably asking about infrastructure, pro, like, projects. Like, how, how do you manage that? How would you manage that while keeping your people happy with you, while managing budgets? How do you, how do you go to war and not take your country into major debt? How do you, like, how do you handle these different issues? How do you handle peacetime? How do you handle issues of justice? You can imagine she's asking a lot of these things, but there's also something else she probably asked about, because verse 1 tells us that she heard about his fame being connected with who? The name of the Lord. And so I can guarantee you a couple questions had to do with Solomon's God, and how does he work, and what's his relationship with us, and what's his relationship with me? And how does this, like, 
what, what, is this, what do we do here? How, what's the, what is the nature of our relationship with God? And so what does she do? She asks him these questions, and none of them were too difficult for Solomon to explain to her. In verse 4, when the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servant's residence, his attendant service and their attire, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings that he offered at the Lord's temple, his religious observance that he was pretty devout about at that time. What did it do? It took her breath away. So what she found is that his wisdom exceeded all people's wisdom. And he has become the wealthiest man in the world. And his renown spanned the globe. When she saw that, it took her breath away. And she said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But indeed, I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, it was not even half. I was not told half. My expectations were half of what they should have been when I was coming to meet you. That never happens. That never, like when your expectations are too low for, for like meeting someone who's ex- spectacular as Solomon. And she's like, you've exceeded anything beyond what I was believing when I came here. And so what we see here, the point of this, as I've said is that God made good on his promise to Solomon. He fulfilled his promise to Solomon. Solomon, the text is telling us, has become the king of wisdom. And to him, all the nations of the world look and come to pay homage to. That is who Solomon is. So next, I want you to turn somewhere. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This was pointed out by, uh, by both Charles Simeon and, and Charles Spurgeon. Um, because Jesus actually was talking about this text one time. He was teaching some people, and he referenced the Queen of Sheba and what she did. And so in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 29 is where we're at. And he actually tells us, Jesus tells us what our second, our second point is here today. He says, as the crowds were increasing, he began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign. So the context here is that Jesus is talking to some crowds and not everyone there believes in him. And we know that because in a previous uh, verse, uh, verse 15, uh, they, some of them declared that Jesus was actually working for Satan. And so when you declare that Jesus is working for Satan, that's a pretty good clue that you don't believe that he's from God. And so, uh, so he's saying, you guys are an evil generation because you demand a sign. But no sign, I'm not going to perform a miracle for you. No sign is going to come except the sign of Jonah from the book of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. I'm going to be a prophet that comes and tells you about the coming judgment from God. But then look what he says in verse 31. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, 
something greater than Solomon is here. What's point two of this text here with the Queen of Sheba? The first one is God made good on his promise to Solomon to make him the king of wisdom that all nations come to pay homage to. But Jesus' point here in Luke chapter 11 is that he is the greater Solomon. He is not just the, queen, the king who holds wisdom. He is the king who is wisdom. That is Jesus' point here. Jesus is the greater Solomon, wisdom personified. That's what, so this is what, what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1. What does he say? To those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians, Paul tells us again, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, in him, that's in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. How is this the case? Luke chapter 10. Go to, go, if you're in Luke, go back to chapter 10, verse 22. How is this the case that Jesus is wisdom? That he is the one who holds the true wisdom from God. Do I, how can he be like wisdom personified? Look at this in verse 22. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Jesus is the Son of God sent from God, the only one who has the relationship with God in which he can reveal everything about the Father to us. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus is with the Father and knows the Father and thus has such wisdom, uh, and, and has such wisdom as no one else can have. He knows the deep things of God, for he came down from heaven, bringing his Father's greatest secrets in his heart. That is what Jesus is telling us here, is that he is the one who holds wisdom from God. He is the greater Solomon. He is the king who is wisdom. Now, Spurgeon next in his sermon, he asked a brilliant question. Um, because at this point, you're like, okay, awesome. Jesus is the greater Solomon. Jesus is wisdom. Cool. Next obvious question is this. How do I hear his wisdom? How do I hear it? The Queen of Sheba could go to Solomon and listen and observe and, and like hear from him and ask him questions, but how do we hear Jesus' wisdom? And here was Spurgeon's answer. This book. This book, your Bible, is how you hear the wisdom of Christ. Your Bible is how you hear the wisdom from Christ. What he revealed of the Father to us, of what a relationship with him is like. How do we get wise unto salvation? How do we be wise for abundant living today? How do I, how do I become wise about how I need to live in relationships with other people? How do I be wise about how do I live with integrity with regard to money? How do I be wise about my world, about how do I view events happening in our world? What, he, what we're learning... 
what he teaches us is that he revealed it to us through his word. And so the way that you access the wisdom of King Jesus is through reading the Bible. That is how we get it. That's how you read it. And so when you read it, you can have confidence that you are hearing the wisdom of the great King Jesus. That's it. And I can't tell you how many times I, I go to my D group on Thursdays and I talk about a thing that I was dealing with, I, be it, I, I can't really think about it, but like uh, my, your relationship with June. You know, June's five and she likes to not always listen to what I say and I get frustrated. And, uh, and then I'll read a proverb and it's like, oh my gosh. Like, I was, like how, how did that like connect with what's happening like right here at this moment? Or, or I've been feeling uh, overwhelmed recently, just with regard to, there's been a number of things kind of piled on uh, at, here at the church, just like with uh, uh, getting the building re- re- renovated and, and uh, make sure we have the punch list stuff going and make sure we have our doors coming back. And then uh, there's a number of other, other issues that were just kind of piling on. And I was just kind of feeling pretty tense about it. And, uh, and so on Thursday, I um, I just said, I'm going to take today off and I'm going to go and, and I told Dara, just, Hey, we're going to act like I'm at work and I'm just going to go and I'm going to go hike and just get out and just be away for a minute. And so on Thursday, I went and did a, a trail run up at uh, Eagle Mountain Lake and I just stopped at one point and, uh, right by the lake. And it was, it was in like a little inlet and it was calm. And, um, I, I just stopped and I just wanted to be still. And I started looking like just how calm the water was, and it was the weather was perfect, it was sunny, and um, I was standing there, and, and I was just like feeling this tension, and I was just like, God, I just need like a fresh encounter with you. I need to hear from you. I need to, to I just, I'm feeling so tense and, and just anxious about things. And, and all of a sudden, Psalm 23 popped in my head, and, I'm, and it's just like he leads me beside, beside quiet waters. And as I'm standing out there, like the Lord is my shepherd. He gives me what I need. And, and, and so that popped in my head and it was like, oh. So in every bit of this, with the building and with church, everything, what God was teaching me in that moment is that he is there as my shepherd walking with me in that. And I've been neglecting that. I've been neglecting turning to him. And what he said is, pause, be still, know that I am with you, and I will lead you to the place of peace in this moment. Now, why did that come up? Why did that come up? Because I was seeking God in that moment, and so what happened? He brought wisdom for my situation from where? His Word. His Word. Do you need wisdom? Turn to God through his word, and he will speak to you. He'll speak to you. So the third thing, I want you to see this, is, is go back to First um, Kings, chapter 11, I mean, uh, chapter 10. Because the second thing we saw is that Jesus was the greater king of wisdom. The third thing I want you to see is that the queen of Sheba teaches us the proper response to the king of wisdom. 
She teaches us the proper response to the king of wisdom. So what did she do? She came. When the queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame, connected with the name of the Lord, what did she do? She came to test him. She came to investigate, to see what's really going on here. And so she came and examined him, and she saw, wait, this guy's legit. And so what did it lead her to do? Verse 4. It took, I mean, verse 5, when she saw everything, what did it do? It took her breath away. And how did she respond? Verse 6, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and I tasted and I saw with my own eyes. How happy are your men? How happy are these servants of yours? who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. Verse 9, blessed be the Lord your God. He is delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. What is her response? She comes to investigate, finds out that the king of wisdom is legit, and it leads her to praise God. It leads her to worship. And back in, back in Luke 11, Jesus talks about this moment. And, she said, and he says, She came from the ends of the earth and saw the king of wisdom, that he was legit, and it led her to worship God. Not worship Solomon. Led her to worship God. And so now, she is going to be admitted as evidence in the end-time judgment day. She is going to be admitted as evidence against every person who's to do, who does not believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who came to us. Why? Because he's the greater Solomon. Someone greater than Solomon is here. And back then, she came to observe the lesser king of wisdom from all that distance away. But now, Jesus is here, and if you do not come to pay homage to him... She will serve as evidence against you when you stand before God in judgment. That's what he says here. Look what he says. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and what? Condemn them. She will be a condemning sign because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, someone greater than him is here. And so what does that mean you need to do? Come. Pay homage. Taste and see that he is legit. And let that lead you to worship of him. And so she's a condemning sign to all unbelief. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. Why did she come in the first place? Why did she come at all? Because others told her. Why did the Queen of Sheba come to, the, come to King, of Sol, King Solomon? Because others told her about him. That's what, that's what the text says. She heard, verse 1, she heard about Solomon's fame. 
other people were like, hey, listen, did you hear about, did you hear about Solomon? Did you hear about the king in Jerusalem? Did you hear about how wise he is? Did you hear about how wealthy he is? Did you hear about how honorable he is? Did you hear about how, how many trade routes he owns? Did you hear about all of these things, the way that he can administer justice to his people? Do you hear about that? Why did she come? Because people told her about him. That's why she came. And so those that have beheld the glories of Jesus, the glories of the true wisdom from God, what do they do with it? They share it with other people. They share it with other people so that they might come just like the Queen of Sheba and investigate Christ and then come and see and then say along with her, the report I heard about your words and about your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. And so here's the thing, is if you have come to see Jesus as the true wisdom of God, who do you know that needs to hear about him today? Who do you know that needs to hear about him this week? If you've beheld the glories of the king of wisdom, then who do you need to share that with? And then if you're here today and you're listening, and you have not come to believe in Jesus, if you've come in here like, man, I'm just, I'm not sure, I'm kind of checking spiritual things out, or my wife brought me, or whatever, like, here's the call for you. Listen to the queen of Sheba where she came and paid homage 1,500 miles away from her home because she heard about his glories and she saw he was awesome, saw he was legit, and she paid homage and it led her to worship. And so listen to her sign because that is the call for you today to come, pay homage to the Son of God, observe and see that he is the true wisdom from God, and pay homage and let that lead you to worship him. And so why did he come, ultimately? To make us wise unto salvation from God. Because we are distant from God. We've been separated from him because of our sin. And Jesus came to pay the penalty of our sin. So that way when we believe in him, his death on a cross applies to you and your life. And when he resurrected from the dead, he became the king, the living king who now governs our lives as Lord. And we say, we submit to you and we follow you. And now if that's you, if you're like, man, something in that's resonating with me and I want to turn to God, here's what you do. You turn to him, you pray and you say, Jesus I want to follow you. I believe that your death applied to me. And now I want to follow you as the wise king over my life. And when you do that, you get up and you tell someone else that happened. And so as the band comes up, I want to remind you that the call for you here, for all Christians, is to be one who tells someone else about the wisdom of Jesus. And if you have not come to faith in him yet, the call for you this morning is to submit your life to him through belief.